Hello, guys, and thank you for listening to another episode of the Not The Top 20 podcast. My name's Ali Maxwell. Alongside me, George Ellick. We love the EFL. We'd like to talk about the EFL if you'll let us for for the next 45 minutes or so. Uh, It was another weekend of interesting, surprising and in many cases unpredictable results and that's across all three divisions so uh, each of them showing different themes and different narratives at this stage. League 2 for example just unbelievably hard to, to, to pick, hard to work out who's good really apart from Lincoln and, and maybe some others but we're going to try and, and wade through that and pick through some of the other teams that we want to talk about in League 1 well is there a big 4, is there a big 6, is there only a big 2? That's also going to be up for discussion but we'll start in the Championship. We're going to talk about a couple of teams across that division. We're going to start with Leeds and Birmingham at Ellen Road on Saturday because this, I suppose, George, was one of the most surprising results of the weekend. Birmingham with their first win of the season at Ellen Road. Uh, the league leaders, still the league leaders, Leeds, uh, but took a bit of a hit there. How impressed were we with Birmingham? Disappointed with Leeds? Where does the pendulum swing? It's a frustrating one for, for me, uh, having on the, on the podcast uh, midweek, the betting podcast, tipped up Leeds. Um, despite having expressed concern all season, if they were as good as their results suggested, and often spoken quite a lot about saying that Birmingham were probably better than their results suggested. Do you think, do you, think you were swayed at all by the tweets from various leagues, Leeds fans that you got in midweek? No, I, th- I think more, more the, the performances at Ellen Rose uh, had been fairly decent, and, and the win at Preston and, and the form of Tyler Roberts suggested that maybe they'd be okay. But, um, you know, it's, it's one of those games, for anyone who hasn't seen the goals, um, for a team who've missed so many decent chances this season, it was always inevitable that some were going to go in and, and neither of Che Adams' uh, opportunities look particularly simple. Mm. Um, you know, the keeper's got, Peacock Farrell's got to, be play, got to be blamed for the first one. I'm not entirely convinced that he's really good enough either. Um, it's surprising that Jamal Blackman hasn't really had a chance so far this season. Um, but He's one of those, you know, it, it should always be caveated with the fact that it's his first full season. He's very young. Definitely, you know, there's no, there's no denying his, you know. But you just mean talent. in terms of current ability, well, if, if, if there's you, been a well, few. If you just look at, if you look at goalkeepers who've been promoted from this league in the past, they're, they're, not, they're naturally going to be of a higher real than Peacock Farrell just in terms of, of ability and experience. Um, it's... It, it, I think you can probably say they deserved it. Leeds weren't at their best. When they went 2-0 up, they managed to defend their lead. Um, I was obviously a bit surprised to see them do so, but um, it's now going to be interesting to see how Leeds pick themselves up after their first loss of the season and if they can go again. Yeah, Dan, Leeds fan, tweeted us, and thank you again. I mentioned them last week, but another brilliant batch of Sunday scouting reports tweeted to us at NTT20pod on Twitter. So make sure if you're a a match-going fan, we really want to hear from you. We want to hear what you think, both about your own team's performance, but often we think there's more value in hearing what you thought about the opposition. Uh, Dan, a Leeds fan, was at the game, said we didn't get our passing game going. Not sure if that was down to an off day for us or good work from Brum. Uh, We've seen a few halves or full games this season where Leeds haven't got the passing game going, notably that first half against Rotherham as well. So it's interesting to see, you know, when we see more of these, whether that is an off day for Leeds or whether there's a a way that opposition is setting up um, specifically to shut that passing game down. Um, Che Adams, the obvious pick of the bunch for Blues, two smart finishes, as you said, George, and a physical presence up front. I think at this stage you should give a nod to Lukas Djukovic as well because as physical presence up front go in the Championship, he is one of the better ones. It doesn't always notch that many goals but I think Che Adams would be the first to say that Djukovic does a lot of the grunt work shall we say I mean 
just from a Leeds point of view, those two goals, the, the ease with which they allowed Birmingham to play the ball forward to the edge of their box, it, and, and, you know, that... I don't know all of the intricacies of the press. Quite often teams prioritise pressing immediately after losing the ball rather than just pressing all over the pitch all the time. But it did strike me that, that, that they really allowed Birmingham to play forward very simply uh, and, and, and they weren't really putting any pressure on the ball it, when it got to the edge of the box. It shot me the kind of performance, especially early on in the game, of a team who, who assumed they could turn up and win, um, who assumed that they weren't really concerned about the space and time they would give the opposition on the edge of the box. A team who, who you know in fairness, were unbeaten so far in the league against a team who hadn't won yet. So you can not forgive, but you can understand any complacency. And I think that's definitely what we saw. Yeah, a couple of shout-outs for Blues players. Firstly, Lee Camp. I have probably used his name two or three times on this podcast so far this season. And all three times it's been in a negative sense. So it's only fair to, to say that Camp looked a lot sharper in this game, made a brilliant save towards the end of the game, uh, down to his right to, to, to sort of secure the win, I suppose, for Birmingham. So big shout out to Lee Camp and fair play for Gary Monk because the goalkeeper situation at Birmingham has looked very confusing to the outsider um, with Stockdale and Kujak just not involved at all at a youngster uh, starting the first few games and now Lee Camp but he stuck with his man and he was rewarded here um, also Charlie Lakin who is a youth product uh, it was his second start for Blues after playing against Sheffield United the other day in the centre of midfield uh, filling in for Keaton Bell who's injured played a vital role in making sure that the Birmingham held their shape and didn't allow Leeds' attacking players any space between the lines, which, as we know, is where they do their big damage. So, well done, Charlie Lakin. One to watch there. It was a brilliant week for young players in the Championship. Uh, Dean Gripton, great friend of the pod and absolute don uh, of football manager when it comes to the EFL. He flagged up in a tweet the number of young players making a difference in the Championship. Uh, and it's really exciting, not just uh, uh, Charlie Lakin for, for Birmingham, but... Uh, we'll talk about Norwich a bit later. Three young players starting their last few games. And, and across the league, there's all sorts of, of other names. So well done to the teams giving youth a chance, many of them being rewarded for it. Um, for example, Frank Lampard at Derby, Mason Bennett, Mason Mount, uh, uh, Bogle as well, the fullback. So great to see. Uh, Birmingham obviously have a potential points deduction hanging, hanging over them. Um, possibly, we think, between 10 and 15 points. So um, hugely important points because... Uh, I guess if they do get that deduction, it seems obvious they'll go down, but you never know. All good points. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Aston Villa 1, Sheffield Wednesday 2. Uh, John McGinn scored a goal in this one that I think everyone would have seen. Uh, absolutely sensational strike. Taking it from the air, first time uh, at about sort of hip height. Incredible technique, wonderful connection, in off the bar. Uh, no one could ever say anything negative about this goal, could they? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic... Maybe you could. Well, I mean, I, I've been warned that if I not say anything. I just think there's one angle where it looks like it comes off his shin. But as I've said, <laughs> as I've said, John, John McShin, um, as, as I've said in the office today, it doesn't necessarily make it a worse goal. I mean, I'm just commenting that by the looks of things, it came off his shin. Um, you know, if you, if you can, as people have been saying, swaz it in the top corner off your shin, then, you know, good on you. Yeah, I've seen you shin a lot of shots yeah, I'm playing, in the I'm, cage. I'm playing, I haven't played football for seven months. I'm playing 11 aside tonight, so there'll be a few shinners there. Jesus I'll be, do, I'll be doing my best John McShin um, impressions. Good, good. Well, a nod to John McGinn. Ultimately, as someone tweeted us this morning, great fun at 
parties, this bloke. Uh, a fantastic goal that meant absolutely nothing. And of course he's right, because Villa lost at home to Sheffield Wednesday. Um, that's one win in their last eight games for Villa, and that was against Rotherham at home the other day. Um, we're going to focus on Sheffield Wednesday first. We've spoken about Steve Bruce at length, but Sheffield Wednesday were rather good in this game, and, and in various games this season they've shown that they can be uh, a, a very good team. Stephen Fletcher... Um, a real thorn in Villa's side getting the winner and Barry Bannon when he's fit when he's playing regularly um, simply one of the best players in the league I think so uh, from Sheffield Wednesday terms I don't think we were ever truly worried about relegation for them this season but given their the, the, the difficulty in the transfer market this summer I think you can say that it's been a good start. They're in the top half and fair play to Luhukai for that. Yeah, definitely. Um, you mean you say we weren't concerned about them for relegation. I, I mean, I definitely was. Um, and I can't actually remember what yeah. we had them in our predictions. Well, I just think that you know, it's hard to be, or it was hard to be convinced by Luhukai. I, I still, you know, I'm not necessarily sold, but they're one of six teams to, to have earned 10 points in their last five games, which is the most of anyone in the league. Um, they've gone to Villa Park. I mean, I'm pretty frustrated because I've been waiting for this Villa, uh, this Villa loss at Villa Park, and this is the one weekend that I didn't get against them. But, uh, but no, I mean, it, even though Villa are struggling for form, it's still a massive, massive win for them, uh, and they deserve their win. They created chances. Stephen Fletcher finally getting, uh, you know, getting on the end of some chances and, and, and putting the ball away. Um, they've conceded seven goals in their last five, which is maybe a bit of a concern. Um, but you know, if they're picking up points at, at that rate, then you can. Uh, I think it's, they're one of those few teams who you wouldn't be surprised to see them back in relegation come March. But then you wouldn't be surprised either if they were up knocking on the door of the playoffs. It's very hard to place them. Um, but with Forestieri coming back from his ban as well, uh, Barry Bannon obviously in, in superb form, uh, and Lucas Zhao starting off the season very well indeed as well. Yeah. Certain players that have been in their squad for a while who haven't necessarily lived up to their billing are starting to do so. And that can only be a good thing. Yeah, basically the reverse of what we used to say about them last season. Yeah. They had all these guys that whose names jumped off the page, but who, who appeared to be just not performing. Um, they're also one of the teams playing plenty of young players. Matt Penny and Ash Baker started uh, at wing-back on the weekend. They've played Thornley there as well this season at, at centre-back. So um, we, we, we always talk about managers and players being victims of their own success. Maybe they're profiting from their own demise. Mm. So poor last season, under, underachieved so much that now they're doing OK in their <laughs> mid-table. We're like, yeah, brilliant. Well done, Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, well, well done, Sheffield Wednesday. Um, all those Scottish players involved in that game, McGinn, Bannon, Fletcher, uh, got me thinking about the amount of Scottish players we have in the Championship. So here, George and the listeners, is my Championship Scottish eleven in a trendy 3-5-2 formation. I want you to listen to this and tell me what position you think this team would come uh, with Jordan Archer in goal, uh, Grant Hanley, Liam Cooper and Charlie Mulgrew uh, at, at centre-back, Matt Phillips and Barry Douglas, the wing-backs, John McGinn, Barry Bannon and John Fleck in central midfield and Ollie McBurney and Stephen Fletcher up front. It's a really nice team. It wouldn't be the fastest team, but... I just, well, I'd, like, I'd like to replace Fletcher. Um, but yeah, no, it's decent. I reckon that would be a top 10 team e- easily. Yeah, unfortunately, Ross McCormack's off to Australia, so he, he can't be included. To, to provide that injection of pace. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Derby beat Brentford 3-1 um, at the weekend. Luke was there, Derby fan. Um, relentless pressing by the midfield and forwards for Derby. Forced errors and some beautiful slick interplay. And in the second half, saw the game out expertly. Um, he's right, isn't he? Some, some brilliant counter-attacking in the first half and then really managed to just sort of sit on the game, just squash it in the second half and didn't really struggle. A Mason Mount special. Um, a derby really quite impressive in the last month or so and you know this is a big statement of intent as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Derby are almost quietly going about their business. Uh, another one of those teams who who topped the form table on 10 points for the last five. Um, this game on paper looked like a really difficult one. It's going to be one of, you know, we spoke last week about how Brentford were, were then favourites for the championship. It's been a poor week for them and they're certainly not that anymore. Um, even Dean Smith, Brentford's manager, said after the game, I don't want to take any, way, any of the credit away from Derby, showing that despite the fact that his team were poor, despite the fact they gave away sloppy, I mean, that the counter-attacking goal to, um, to open up was really, really poor indeed. From, from a Brentford from corner. From the Brentford corner. But, um, you know, when you've got managers who've gone one up in the game early on saying that, you know, they, in effect, they deserve to lose, then, then you know they're doing OK. And it's, we were very keen on Derby early on. I think the initial performances, if not the results, suggested that maybe we'd jump the gun. But now they... You know they're taking on an identity of a, of a successful team. Yeah, really, really good stuff. Congratulations to Mr. Lampard as well. The birth of a of another child. Unconfirmed rumours that it would be named Mason had it have been a boy. Uh, another brilliant goal from Mason Mount. I think that's five direct free kicks he scored already in his career, and he's he's still uh, so young. So very, very impressive on the Brentford side of things. Having gone ahead after like forty seconds. Um, and, and and really let themselves down, I guess, it, it defensively. You look now at the away record, no away win this season for Brentford. That seemed acceptable before this week. They had drawn at Stoke in a game they dominated, a game at Villa uh, when they were winning heading into stoppage time. They'd lost narrowly to a good Blackburn team, but now after this week, a draw at Ipswich and defeat at Derby, all of a sudden it's looking like more of an issue. I yeah, think. I mean, they've always been... I mean. Uh, there are aspects of Dean Smith's management that you have to respect and there are times where you think that it's a good fit but then there's also this feeling that for, for, for a squad with elite players they haven't quite got an elite manager and I think that the, it was a strange decision to take. I mean, obviously Jean Vier was brought in to be a first-choice centre-back um, but they've got off to a cracking start to the season which has seen them you know, rise towards the top of the table and, and at Derby, is that the best time to be dropping your centre-back duo? I mean, so um, Kozra uh, came out Sorry, Konza came out for... Uh, and so Jean-Bier started alongside Mepham. And you just wonder if that's a good... And, and by all accounts, he had a bit of a shocker in his mm. first start in English football. And Pulled, fact, a, pulled just, apart by Dave the Difference Nooch. Exactly. And it just seems a little bit naive, maybe, um, to choose that game to do so. You'd think they've had... They will, Brentford will beat a lot of teams very easily at Griffin Park this season. There's no doubt about it. So to make that change there... I mean, obviously, Konza and... And Mepham are a pretty inexperienced duo as well. So it's by no means you're dropping a season pro, but they've obviously built an understanding which has been successful. Um, it just seemed a little bit bizarre. And, and midweek against Ipswich, he made some fairly uh, ropey substitutions. Um, you know, Ben Rama's come off after, the, after an hour in both games this week, which maybe it's a fitness issue, but he looks their biggest threat when he's on. Um, we saw uh, Alan Judge come on when they were chasing the game at Portman Road, who, who looked totally out of sorts and out of form and, yeah. and, and not fit it, yeah, I, I just wonder now I mean nothing's going to happen I'm sure because uh, he, you know, he's obviously a very capable coach he's part of the part of the system there but we've expressed doubts a while ago you know a, a year 18 months ago on the podcast about whether or not Smith is the elite coach that, that this club need and I'm, I'm starting to wonder if it's not his coaching it's his kind of managerial abilities in terms of substitutions and team selection that could be holding them back yeah interesting stuff a week ago Brentford were Favourites for the title with the bookies before the last two rounds of action. Now there's a new favourite, and it's West Bromwich Albion. So, so far this season, I think we've gone from Leeds to Brentford, now to West Brom. So the bookies now very wary of West Brom, and they kept a clean sheet against Millwall, which is something we've been sort of waiting, wanting them to do. Uh, Four home wins in a row now. West Brom, favourites for the title, George Wood. Are you sort of... 
are you nodding along to that? Are you going, yeah, fair play, bookies, I, I see that? Or are you sort <laughs> of, uh, are you wondering why they're, they're changing their prices so, so sort of knee-jerkedly? Well, perhaps? no, it's, it's been, it's, you know, it's not always the bookies changing their prices. There'll be weight of money that's moving the shifting liabilities as well. But that's another, you know, for another conversation. But it's more, at this stage, it looks like a very open league with no one really grabbing it by the scruff of the neck and, and taking it forward. And, and therefore, it's understandable why the people who can seem to be putting a bit of a run together are, are, are topping the market. But it's still, you know, when you're whatever, four to one favourite, or well, I think that's around about what they are, um, it's, you're not a strong favourite. You're, you're basically just marginally the most likely team to win. It's a bit of a, you know, when, when you're an even money favourite, that's when there's a 50% chance of you winning it or whatever. This is just, of all the teams up there towards the top end of the market, they're the most likely and therefore they're favourite. Um, and do you, do you, are you sort of, you sort of agree are. with that? Yeah, I guess I do. Um, I think that their home form is obviously going to take them very, very far indeed. Um, as I've mentioned, I don't think it's a particularly strong championship this year. Uh, there still have to be doubts um, about the experience of Darren Moore, but he seems to be able to galvanise a talented group of players into something that's more than passable on the pitch. Um, and Jay Rodriguez and Dwight Gale, they've got two strikers who are amongst the best in the league. Um, in Harvey Barnes, they've got one of the most exciting talents in the league. At the back, they've got a, you know, that was a big clean sheet for them to keep, I'd say, against Millwall because they haven't kept many this season. Um, I still. I'm slightly concerned about the creativity in the middle of the park. Um, Brunt's obviously a player who's, who's done it before in the Premier League, but except for that, it seems to be lacking a, a little bit. Um, but Phillips on his day, um, you know, he's blowing very hot at the moment. I spoke to to Steve Freeth, friend of the pod last week, who who seemed to kind of agree with me that when he's at his best, he is uh, too good for the league, but then there may be times coming up in the future where he's not going to be firing like he is at the moment, um, which is obviously a concern. So I think it's fair to, to have them as the most likely winners. Um, I think the Middlesbrough are the, are the clear other ones who, purely because you just are totally confident that they're going to get 75 plus points, it means they have to be in your, in your reckoning. Borough seem to have slowed down a little bit over the last few weeks at nil nil on the weekend tuna win at bolton in midweek but i guess this is a drawback of having to do a weekly podcast and and trying to be predictive with no drawbacks things things do well the only drawback is that things do change quite quickly and and you need to try and and be consistent with your opinions but also move along with with what's actually happening yeah, um, exactly. And that's what we tried to do with Leeds unsuccessfully, where <laughs> we tried to, you know, I, I spoke a lot about a potential upset and then when it actually came around, we'd, we'd flipped the other way. But, you know, you mentioned that Middlesbrough maybe haven't been quite as dominant, but they're, they're level on points for Leeds at the moment in second place on goal difference. Um, so I think we've got to be fairly, you know, results like Saturday will happen. Um, you know, drawing at home is never great, but Swansea will be a team that we've already seen a lot of fancy teams drop points to. That they're a pretty hard team to place. But <laughs> they've conceded three goals in nine games so far, Borough. That is uh, pretty pretty tight. And, and also, and you look at the, the league table. Swansea are in fourteenth place. They're five points shy of their top two. Mm. Uh, it's unbelievably open at the moment. So. Yeah, I mean, I'd still have I'd have West Brom and Middlesbrough. Marginally, is, is the most likely to take up those top two positions. But when you're looking at how close the, the you know Swansea are, are two wins away from being in the top four, it's 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 absolute. You know, we always talk about the championship being the hardest league to predict, and and this is proving to be the case again. Yeah, make sure you're getting in touch with us at NTT Twenty Pod. That's both on Twitter and on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you guys who are following the championship as closely as we are, who you think are the, the two, at this stage, most likely teams to be promoted. Um, so that's at NTT20pod on Twitter. A couple more games in the championship. Reading beat Hull 3-0. Uh, this was a big result for Reading. Hull are another team down there, and, and, and in that sense, it represented quite a lot. But also the fact that 
they played really poorly in midweek at home to Norwich, and it was not just the the not just the poor performance, but the way that they conceded forty five seconds after uh, equalising late on in the game. And I think after that game, it really was you know a poor result, perhaps against Hull on the weekend could have seen mm, this taste turn into mutiny in the stands at the Madstad. So good for them to get the the 3-0 win. A really underrated thing, two underrated things here. John Daddy Bod Varson has five goals so far. Uh, Every 96 minutes in the league he's been scoring. So Reading at this stage, at this early stage, finally getting a few more goals out of him, something that they've really missed since uh, Kermel Gantz stopped scoring and, and, and... Stop playing. Yeah, stop playing, stop scoring. <laughs> well, that followed him yeah. stopping scoring. Another underrated thing is how much the Reading fans are loving John O'Shea. Um, he's, I think he's only started two games, but just so many tweets about his commitment, about his organisation. Uh, not much pace, obviously. We saw that uh, with his red card near the end of the game, but I think that... It, it seems weird because red cards are clearly a, like a bad thing to happen to your team. But even that, him getting sent off, taking down Chris Martin when through on goal uh, to preserve the clean sheet, essentially sacrificing himself, seems to have gone down really yeah. well with the Reading fans. Well, I think it's maybe that kind of savvy know-how that, that you lack and that when you've been struggling for results and struggling for form, to have someone come on who has been there and he's done it and he understands what he's doing. He knows he's going to take his punishment, but he's protecting their, their win and their clean sheet. You know, you don't mind it. Yeah, it all happened with this like massive wad of tissue in his mouth as well. <laughs> he'd, he'd been off with a blood injury, changed his shirt, he came on chomping on a bit of tissue and it was all a bit ridiculous. It looked like a piece of bread as he walked off the pitch. Uh, Stoke lost at home to Blackburn. Uh, if, if Reading's fans were close to mutiny before that good result, well, I'd suggest that Stoke fans are the closest to mutiny uh, at this stage, certainly in terms of reacting to poor performances. They were 3-0 down to Blackburn uh, at home, and Gary Rowett is, is, is not asking them not to boo, he's asking them to, to pick the right times to boo, so you know things aren't going very well. Um, such a bad defensive performance. Um, a bad defence uh, is one that allows very simple passages of play to, to cause problems, and that's exactly what happened in the first half here. Um, Quite simple passing moves from Brent from Blackburn. In some cases, just long balls punted forward. Uh, and Shawcross, Martins, Indy, Peters and Martina, players who have played in the Premier League the last few seasons, just looking like, looking like non-league defenders, to be quite honest. It's a, it's a massive issue. And, you know, I saw them in midweek and said if Swansea had a, a striker, a proper striker on the pitch that day, they could have been two up at half-time and sort of wishing that I'd gone stronger on that because it's just terrible, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we said in our, all our pre-season, because we've got, we've got to own the opinions, so we said that this was a, a Premier League squad in the wrong team and, and we're being shown up for that and so are they. Um, it's, it's just appalling. You, you can't work out how these guys who, who should be so experienced, who should just be a, a cut above, and especially with a coach who's been so successful, at least, you know, even his main detractors have to accept that he, the style of football may not be to his credit, but the teams he've coached, he's coached have been very solid defensively, uh, Derby particularly last season. So it's it's bizarre to see them struggling so much. Um, you wonder um, just how toxic it's become. You have to question the decision to give Saida Berahino the, the, that crucial penalty, just given what he's been through recently and given the kind of new stories that are floating around about him at the moment. It just seemed like a recipe for disaster, really. And I don't know many people are surprised to see his you know, his luck not turn with that shot that cannoned off the crossbar. Um, if you want people who are having positive news stories about them at the moment, they should have given it to Crouchy. 
I mean, people can't get enough of Crouch. I mean, that would have moment. been that would have been superb. But you know, there are enough players out there. I mean, you're looking at the likes of you know Joe Allen should be experienced enough to be able to score a penalty. Like Tom Ince is a you know a fantastic technical footballer. It, it, yeah, I mean, there are far bigger issues at Stoke than than Sider Berahino taking a penalty. And obviously, he is there to be a goal scorer, and they know far better than us who's who are their expert penalty takers. But it just didn't seem like a shock, and it didn't seem like the best player to have over that ball for a massive uh, for a massive penalty. And despite the fact that they'd have been hoping to win the game before it, to be three 0 down and to come back and draw three 0 would have felt like a massive momentum push. And so to lose that is a big shame. And and as you say, you, you just got to worry, worry for Rowett. And it's it's been a after what was a I'd say an important win midweek. Just with, without the maybe important performance, um, it's definitely one step forward and two steps back. Yeah, as I sit here, I'm I'm listening to you talk about Stoke, and I'm finding it very hard to imagine things turning around quickly at this stage. And I, uh, you know, hopefully that. Won't be the case for our own pre-season predictions' sake. It would be it would be great if they could fly up the table, but just really, really poor. From a Blackburn point of view, huge credit to them. They they kind of needed that win. Three without a win, three games without a win before that. Um, but they're in the top half. Tony Mowbray, you might have thought, would get quite excited uh, having won three two away at the pre-season favourites. Uh, no, you're not going to trick him into getting excited that easily. Uh, four cliches in 10 seconds. We have to keep digging in. Nobody gets carried away. We know it's hard work every week. Let's see where it takes us. Absolutely textbook post-match interviewing from Tony Mowbray. Uh, and you absolutely love him, don't you? And, yeah, yeah, and, huge fan. I mean, they're, they're doing really, really well. So, yeah. Slightly eclipsed. Unfortunately, we always so, package these so two annoying. together. But what? they're being eclipsed by Wigan. Wait, but also, they're being eclipsed. I mean, we thought we were being, you know, slightly ambitious and flattering by putting them kind of lower mid-table and they're, they're eclipsing what we thought of them as well um, yeah Wigan again just really impressive I think it was a pretty level game that against Bristol City on Friday night but but they got the job done um, it's great to see these two teams I mean we bang on about how sometimes a relegation can be can be good for a team and, and if there's ever been two cases in point it's these two now who they, they, they've got to have promotion aspirations um, maybe unlikely ones but in their, in their positions and, and the teams they're beating in the football they're playing that they should really be pushing for that top seven yeah it was good to see Harrison Reed playing and scoring for Blackburn he's had to wait for his chance there uh, him and Ryan Woods on the same pitch at the same time was like a, some sort of glitch in the matrix <laughs> as if you could sort of duplicate a player on, uh, on, on FIFA and, and make him play against each other uh, they really are very similar looking in terms of build and size and hair colour uh, anyway we move on a couple of quick lines before we move down to League One uh, um, Ipswich Bolton nil-nil Bolton down to 10 in the first half, Ipswich unable to break them down. Uh, we spoke last week about Paul Hurst's position, Paul Hurst's start as Ipswich manager, and how important this week was for Hurst and for Ipswich. Uh, they're still winless. They drew with Brentford and Bolton. Where are we at now, do you think? I mean, it, it, it appears to me like Ipswich fans have been quite keen to give him as much time as possible so that they don't get accused of being knee-jerk like they were at times last year with McCarthy. It's it's yeah. It seems like there's the tides turning though, doesn't it? Yeah, it does a bit. It does a bit. And I, and I think you know, I definitely hope that they um, give him some time because I do think he'll turn it around. And you look at the teams. I mean, they've taken point a point this season off Villa. They've taken a point off um, off Brentford. Um, you know, it's just 
they can't seem to get over the line. Um, I, it's one of those games as well, watching the highlights where it felt like the, the red card to Bolton probably didn't help them. It mm. just closed the game down and, and Phil Parkinson's adept setting up a team to frustrate. I mean, they, they, they didn't really create much though at the same time no. uh, whatsoever. Quote, quote yeah. from a fan on, on the Ipswich fans forum. Uh, it's a team without shape, pace, movement or players taking responsibility. Uh, no one wanted this, but no one can possibly be happy either. Of all the candidates, Hurst seems to be the perfect one, um, but it's going to be a long road back for him from here yeah, well, now. I disagree with that. It, it's, it's a win or two. That's it. I mean, if you look at what's happened this season so far, I mean, they easily could have beaten Norwich for... for for a uh, but for a late a late goal, and I think that would have turned their season around. The second half against Brentford was a really really good performance, they, and they could admit that at the death as well. There, you know, football's a high variance game, and and whilst the performances I agree aren't on the whole decent, they've done enough this season in certain games to win them, and the league table is bunched up enough. I mean, they've, Paul Hurst has only lost four games as, as Ipswich manager, you know that, and that's out of what ten or eleven. Mm. So it's it's cruel and it's tough, but. Um, the results will come that three points will come and to say it's a long road back after such a short start is is I think a little bit um, dramatic because you know a win against Birmingham and suddenly things are looking a lot rosier Other that's winners. not to they are going to win but it's you know it's, it's not the case where they're detached and it's going to be impossible for him to win when people around it's a couple of wins other winners in the Championship, Wigan, we've touched on, Sheffield United, Nottingham Forest and Norwich. Now, in the interest of moving on, because uh, we can't just talk about everyone, unfortunately, as much as we'd like to, um, we are going to move on to League One. But out of Sheffield United, Nottingham Forest and Norwich, one of those teams is our Team of the Week this week. So, at the end of the podcast, make sure you are going all the way through because uh, we will be talking about one of those teams as our Team of the Week. In League One... We've spoken so much, haven't we, in our League One sections about Peterborough and about Sunderland. They both scored four. They both showed their quality. Um, for Peterborough, there, there, was, there was quite a lot of noise on Twitter last night, wasn't there, in, he, involving the chairman, Darren McAntony? Yeah, we tried. Darren, if you're listening, you know, maybe he didn't reply because he knows that we've been, we've been doubters. Um, we tried to get Darren on the pod today. We hadn't heard back. Um, so if anyone has his ear, can they let him know? Because we'd like to speak to him. Well, no, because it it's interesting because he's obviously frustrated with the reaction of some fans, um, both in their criticism of, of Steve Evans' behaviour on the sideline and also um, the performances themselves. Um, style of play, I think, seems to be a bit of a sticking point. Yeah, well, no midfield. But <laughs> I, I still, I mean, I, I'd still like to speak to him just to say, you know, whilst I understand your frustration at, you know, you're, you're top of the league and people are still having a moan, is there any concern from your end about... about the underlying data is there any concern your end about the behaviour of the manager is there any concern your end about some of the fans being slightly not kind of going with what's going on at the club despite them being top of the league or is it a case of shut up we're doing really well because it would strike me that would be a better conversation to have in private than on uh, uh, well, well listened to EFL podcast well, don't you think very well listened to no no I mean, maybe but I also think it's, it's quite an easy opportunity to get a message across where on Twitter it's pretty quite hard to do so um, but you know, Gillingham away isn't one of the toughest away days of the season. Um, they were 2-1 down with, what, half an hour to go and, and, and turned it around. Um, I'm still not all aboard the Peterborough bus, but at the same time, you have to give them credit. And, you know, Steve Evans is a manager. Again, going back on my, old, my, my personal experiences, when Chris Wilder left Oxford, we were, I think, second or third in, in, in League Two. And yet the whole fan base wanted him out, A, because of his behaviour, and B, because of um, the football we were playing. And the fact that Chris 
Wilder is now a one of the hottest properties in the EFL doesn't change anyone at Oxford's opinion. No one regrets letting him go. Really? No one regrets any of that because at the time people weren't happy with how the club was being managed, and that's important. So the idea as an owner that all that matters is results on the pitch is, I, as a fan, I don't think is, is necessarily correct. And to to not acknowledge that could drive a wedge between the fan and the club even further, which is really dangerous. Yeah, I think hopefully from his point of view and, and probably when you think about it it's, it's a vocal minority you'd have thought yeah. and Twitter as we know uh, is, is this crazy vacuum where uh, those who shout loudest who tend to be shouting the most negative things uh, do get amplified so certainly not saying that this is all posh fans but it's an interesting wrinkle and I'm sure there are fans uh, of other teams in League One thinking you know bloody hell if you've got to complain about that then, then we've got plenty to complain about yeah. uh, we're going to talk about a few <laughs> a few other teams just a quick word on Sunderland our friends at Roker Report said Chris Maguire put in the best individual performance I've seen from a Sunderland player in years now while that might be a lower bar than some clubs given their, their recent history um, good to see that Maguire when he fancies it can still properly turn it on uh, but we want to talk about a couple of other teams that we've not really touched on recently Two teams in good form, one in Accrington, Stanley. They beat Wimbledon at home on the weekend, 2-1. They've only lost once on opening day uh, since their debut season in League One started. They were favourites for relegation with the bookies, don't forget. They're in ninth place. Uh, John Coleman and Jimmy Bell have signed new long-term contracts. That's the manager and his assistant. They're also best friends, which I think is really nice. Reminds me a lot of us, actually. Do you reckon we'll manage Mac Accrington one day? I, I'm not, I wouldn't say we won't. But at this stage, okay. with John and Jimmy doing what they're doing, it seems unlikely. But okay. you never know. But it, it's nice. It's good to see them working so well together, having yeah. been best mates. Um, Definitely. And, uh, and the team is playing very good football. Um, they show the sort of character that, as a fan, you want to see from a team. They're often scoring late equalisers, late winners. Um, and Billy Key and Sean McConville represent the team on the pitch uh, as men, as like individuals, as captains, as goal scorers. Uh, fantastic duo and uh, it's just brilliant to see Accrington you know who who it kind of like everyone still think you know still mentions the budgets and still mentions them as this you know this this little team who were in an advert once and it's, it can be a bit <laughs> frustrating for us because we want to talk about them as just a, purely as a football team at this stage and as a football team they are hugely impressive and uh, we saw them win at Oxford uh, a few weeks ago and they've pretty much got stronger and stronger since they've, they've basically been drawing against the really good teams and beating the less good teams and you, you, you know you can't ask for much more than that yeah. in their first season at this level and, and, and I think it's fair to say we're not surprised um, there was always a feeling where, that even though their budget may have been um, may not have been up there with the biggest or was one of the smallest in League 2 their performances over a certain period of time was up there with the best so you know Naturally, you'd think that would translate into a good League One performance, despite the budget and the issues that they have in in terms of, you know, they can't spend the money that other people do. We'll need. I'll need to do a bit of more specific research on this, but what you've just said kind of made me think of since we've been doing the podcast that the teams that have really blitzed League One or League Two, I don't think any of them have have struggled in the league above. It, it's just it seems to be just a almost a given now that if you're good enough to run away with a, with a league or even yeah. just win a league then the gap between the leagues might not be that big we thought we thought it was going to happen with Wimbledon about three times yeah <laughs> maybe this year's the year yeah I thought, well poor recent form from Wimbledon they've really dropped down the table after quite a good start uh, another team on good form four wins on the pounce 
Pounce. On the pounce. Nice. Pouncing on four yeah. wins from the bounce. On the bounce. <laughs> and pouncing on chances is Carlin Grant and Charlton. Uh, Lee Bowyer justifying his full-term appointment and doing an admirable job of putting a winning team together despite continued off-field issues, ably assisted, dare we forget, by Johnny Jackson. Friend uh, of the pod. A, a really good last few weeks for them. My question to you is, after a few games we thought Portsmouth, Peterborough, Sunderland, Barnsley, the big four in League One. Walsall have flirted with it, Doncaster too, but what about Charlton as, a, as auto contenders? I'm not quite there yet. Um, I was concerned about them early season. Um, I think a Hearn Grant, or sorry, just Grant, I should say. Although people still call him a Hearn Grant. All people over are getting shop. it wrong. He it's, dropped it's everywhere. Even, the, even, even BBC say Carlin Grant in their, in their report, and then it says a Hearn Grant scored the goals at the top. Anyway, yeah. Update, uh, your, update your system, any, guys. Any Opto, BBC has this thing. Update it. Um, I still think that their recent form has to be taken with a, with a pinch of salt, at least. I mean, the home games against Wickham and Plymouth... Um, are against two teams who I expect to be in the bottom six. Um, the away win at Bradford again against one of the you know looked look like one of the poorer teams in the league. Um, and the away win at Southend. Southend obviously bounced back to some good form last weekend, but you know they're not the first team to go to Roots Hall and and win. And then they beat Shrewsbury on this early on season again, who struggled to pick up points early on. Um, so whilst I you know I can see, I mean the, the strike duo are fantastic um, against the stronger teams in the league they come up against you know Sunderland they drop points even at home to Fleetwood they drop points um, there's only been one game they won by by more than one goal which was against Bradford um, I, I still am not quite there yet in, in thinking that they're amongst the best in the league we're going to learn a lot about them coming up um, with two away games against Luton and Scunthorpe um, which neither will be easy um, Luton's home form is still absolutely phenomenal Scunthorpe seemed to be resurgent under Stuart McCall. So I think after those two games um, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to know a lot more about Charlton, but I would just urge caution at the moment. I think but that's only because also the, you know, the expectations weren't necessarily for them to be an automatic team. So they're still doing phenomenally well. I just don't think that they're up there with that bracket of teams. No, it's very, very fair to suggest that when they come up against uh, perhaps tr- trickier opposition, then that's when we'll learn more about them. So we'll check in in a few weeks uh, Georgia and 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 decide for sure. I, I I think that if anyone asked me, anyone at a championship club asked me, give me one League One player to buy in January, I'd be seriously looking at Grant. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, he only started playing in an adult team really last season at Crawley and was clearly too good for League Two. He's really settling into this season as well. Uh, the last few weeks, he has been banging the goals in, and I. He's just that sort of build and pace and and tech mix of technical ability that just looks like it would and will presumably translate to a higher level. So um, really exciting. They beat Plymouth. I want to know from you how Plymouth have become the worst team in League One. Like how, what? What? What's happened? Well, I mean, they were the worst team in League One a, a year ago, and they went on that run, which we've spoken about so many times. Um, and we said in the preview, you know, the season preview podcast that maybe that um, that run was slightly flattering to them and that their, their shot data still remained kind of in the lower mid-table area for XG ratio and um, expressed a little bit of concern about their business over the summer as well. I think that Graham Carey can only shoulder the, the responsibility for so, for so long. Mm. Um, I mean, never write off Derek Adams. The, the, the bad run of form went on a, a lot longer than this last season, kind of well into... November December time 
Um, so you're, you know, you've got to be pretty sure he's going to get the chance to turn it around. Again, I think this is a weaker league this season, so there will be opportunities to do so. Um, but it looks pretty desperate at the moment. I'm not sure I agree with you about it being a weaker league down at the bottom, but that remains to be seen, really. Uh, what is just got to be accepted is that they've scored five goals from their nine games so far. They've conceded 16, and if you take Carey out of that side, just look down the list of the name of, of the other 10 starters, you know, as you say, he can't do it all on his own, and you wonder whether they do have the quality to, to fight their way out. Obviously, four relegation places in League One, so it's harder than a lot of other leagues to actually get yourself out of. Um, you were at Oxford and, and Walsall on the weekend. Uh, before we talk about that, a quick nod to Doncaster, another great win. John Marquis looking better with each week, scored a well-taken goal with both feet and just, yeah, he's got a celebration for every goal as well, which I like. Um, but you were at Oxford Walsall and Walsall won 2-1. So they're now equal on points with Sunderland and Doncaster on 18, whereas Oxford have five points from nine games. Second bottom of the division. Um, we, we spoke a lot about yellows to start the season. We've had a few weeks to sort of let it percolate a bit. Um, but I know that there are people who, who, who are going... Oxford is still down there, George. You yeah. Said, you said that they were clearly not a relegation team. Yeah. I'm no. just here to, to no, ask no. questions. I mean, I, I still don't think we are. Um, our home form, it's interesting, our home form has been very, very poor and not just, our, our form in general over the season has been very poor and our one win has come at home. But the performances at home have been really poor all season. And then just before the game on Saturday, there was a fans forum where Carl Robinson, well, firstly, our, our owner said that we're going to look at... Um, options to leave the Kassam Stadium because of issues with the landlord for us Kassam which is interesting we don't know much more about it than that nice. um, but Carl Robinson said um, that the players don't like playing there they find it very hard to play there um, it doesn't feel like home he said um, and I think that you can see that in the performances that Oxford have put in both at Adams Park and at, and at the Stadium of Light this season which were light years better than anything we've seen at the Kassam it's a pretty so alarming far. thing to hear isn't it as a fan especially, to the team or... well, especially because I, I, it's not he said you know the fans are fantastic it's not nothing to do with the fans it's just their issues where basically there's if anyone wants to read about it more it's, if you go on the Oxford Mail today their main story is about it um, there is an issue with our part, previous chairman and owner Daryl Eels and Ferris Kazan where he thinks that basically we stopped paying our bills because he looked at the contracts and said there's no we're not here to pay um, you know electricity bills and water bills and pitch maintenance bills it's not in the agreement and Ferris Kazan says that it is so Ferris Kazan says that Oxford as a club owe him £600,000 right um, and so until we pay that he's going to follow the letter of the law which means that we're not allowed into the stadium until midday on match days um, if we want to train on the pitch it's £3,000 to do so um, and so Carl is Carl Robinson saying, you know, this is impossible to deal with. You know, we need to get used to our surroundings. We need to get used to the pitch. We can't do that. So we have to pay an extortionate amount. Um, you know, it's it's not for me here to, to to try and say whether or not the club themselves or first Kassam are acting right or wrong. I know a lot of the fan base are very angry with Kassam and have been for twenty odd years. But we're not here to talk about the business. We're here to talk about the football side of things. And it's frustrating because for for, for a while under under Michael Appleton, our home form was very good. But having said that, in our promotion season, our away form was better. So this is an issue we've had for a long time at the Kassam Stadium. It's never really felt like home to fans or players. The outpouring from fans after the game was that let's leave, let's get out of here. Still seven years to run on the seven years to run on the rent. Um, seven years um, suggests to me that there's got to be ways of trying to improve our, our home form rather than worrying about moving in seven years' time. Um, but in the game itself, Walsall um, were the better team. They deserved their win, despite what the manager said. Uh, in my point of view, um, Oxford still struggling to fashion uh, 
good chances. James Henry was asked after the game if this is an issue. He said, you know, it's it's up to us as quality footballers to put away any chance we get, which is mm. a bit of a concern because realistically to score plenty of goals, you have to be able to create decent chances. Um, the strikers, Sam Smith, still yet to score a league goal. John Abika still huffs and puffs, but doesn't really get anywhere. Um, it's it's concerning. But having said that, I'm still... The performances at Wickham and, and Sunderland, where I, I, we should have got six points, to be honest, um, uh, are enough to show me that we'll be... I mean, we should be OK, given our... If we continue to put performances in like that, as the season goes on, we'll pick up points. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see us beat uh, AFC Wimbledon uh, on Saturday. But it's a massive concern. Um, for any, anyone out there who's waiting for Carl Robinson... Uh, to walk the plank I still think that's a long long way off but um, it's yeah it's not good yeah from my point of view watching Morgan Ferrier run clear in the first half and Cameron Norman playing him on side standing there with his arm up in the air rather than taking responsibility and trying to get back yeah. uh, reminded me a little bit of some of the manager's comments so far this season and not always taking responsibility in a, in a way that I would like to see personally from, from a manager. So, you know, a, a defence in the image, yeah. there, maybe. And I think a massive thing, Simon Eastwood's return um, in a couple of weeks will be huge. I mean, that, that, that Ferrier goal, it was a pretty ropey finish from Ferrier when he was one-on-one and it's, it's kind of slipped through Jonathan Mitchell's legs. I can't, I mean, every season you see... You know, six or seven saves from Eastwood uh, at crucial matches, at crucial areas uh, and times in games. Um, and I've yet to really see Mitchell make a decent save, to be honest. Just that'll do for, for, for yeah. Yellows, I think. Um, Walsall in the flesh, Morgan Ferrier in the flesh, George Dobson in the flesh. Nice players, good team. Really good. I mean, they, they didn't have to be very good, to be honest, um, to go 2 0 up. Um, I. I fairly ropey defensively I'd say I mean I know that Oxford won the the XG battle which I think might be a little bit um, given they took a 2-0 lead might be a bit flattering to Oxford and hit the bar um, twice and we, I mean, we also hit the bar I mean, a fantastic save as well um, from a Curtis Nelson header at 1-0 um, uh, and we hit the bar but yeah I mean they, they and I'm pretty sure the second um, one when they hit the bar was offside um, if it had gone in but uh, no but they were very good Zeli Ishmael who did absolutely square root of uh, nothing for Oxford on loan he was there about three years ago looked really really dangerous fantastic mm. finish for a second goal uh, Ferrier looks a real handful a, a lot stronger and bigger than I was expecting um, and kind of gave us problems all day um, they looked they looked functional but as I said I, I mean it's hard to really judge them because and this isn't sour grapes they just didn't really have to get out of out of um, second gear or first gear so um, it was a it was a fairly routine victory. Worrying times. Uh, Coventry, we banged on a bit about over the last few weeks after some very impressive performances. Got gubbed against Bristol Rovers, so it was a much needed win for Rovers. There, a, a real first half blitz, uh, ending in a three-one win that seen them fly up the table up to seventeenth. But you know, Rovers really starting the season poorly and credit to them for, for beating a Coventry side that's been on good form in League 2 our game in focus on this week's betting show was Lincoln MK Dons clearly the big game of the weekend in League 2 um, a chance for MK Dons to show what they were made of and despite Lincoln grabbing a late winner I think the general feeling is that they did MK Dons unbeaten before that game um, and only falling to, to a very very late winner here. Uh, Jonathan said, best game I've seen for a while. Two teams going for the win. Um, gutted to concede last minute as an MK Dons fan, but anyone who finishes above Lincoln goes up. I think that's, uh, that's pretty much a given at this stage. Um, Ali adds, really good game of football. Lincoln shaded it and deserved the win. Um, I did say on the, on the betting show, uh, aside from their qualities in open play, aside from the strength of their personnel, their individuals and their coach, 
They do offer a big threat from set pieces as well. Good delivery, big players, and the air raid siren. And in the 90-second minute, all three were in full effect, full flow, as the ball was swung in and Shackle headed in the winner. So, obviously, a massive win that for Lincoln because at this stage of the season, they're already pulling clear from the, the pack and that can do great things for them down the line. Uh, but MK Don's sort of impressive in defeat, so that, that's quite nice to see. Um, Newport, impressive, beating Tranmere. Sam was at this one, said it was the perfect away display from Newport. Um, got an early goal and frustrated Tranmere. Uh, one shot on target is all Tranmere had to show for their persistent efforts. Newport's three centre-backs, all excellent. Makes me think that that 6-0 defeat against Yeovil might have been a, a bit of an outlier there. Newport still in the automatic just a, promotion. Just catalyst, maybe, you know, mm. just something they need. I mean, we see these freak results and need to a fair bit. Um, and that seems to, you know, <laughs> then uh, Yeovil go and lose at home to Swindon um, and, and Newport put in that performance. So, yeah, an outlier is probably right. Yeah, an excellent away win for Swindon at Yeovil, who's... Recent form we spoke about a lot last week. Their home form does leave a little to be desired, so that's something to work on for Yeovil. And, and brilliant free kick from Matty Taylor, um, which is great to see. Premier League lovers will remember that full well. Yeah, and, uh, but it's worth saying that Yeovil's performance actually sounded and looked um, fairly decent. I think they, they continued to create chances, and it was just one of those days where a couple went in the wrong end and they couldn't, they couldn't score. So Yeah, there's, there's, there's a team... <laughs> put it simply. There's a team in seventh, Forest Green at the moment, them and Portsmouth are the only unbeaten teams in the whole of the EFL. The problem is that Forest Green have only won three out of their nine, drawing the other six. They did get a win this weekend, beating Crawley. I want to put it to you that if there's one team that's going to rocket up the table towards the automatic spots, then it's Forest Green. Yeah, and I'm with you. And why do we think that? A few reasons. I mean, the, the, when you're unbeaten through nine, it's obviously a, a fairly decent start. And it's not like we're plucking out a team here who are, who are struggling and saying they're going to rock it up. You know, they're, they're unbeaten. But it's just that the, 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 the numbers they're posting have been very good all season. Um, and I think we were both very concerned at, at when uh, Christian Deutsch left that maybe the goals would dry up. Or And in fairness, they've only scored uh, three goals in the last three games. So it could be a concern, but the, the rate at which they're creating chances is really impressive. Um, uh, that one all away draw at MK Dons looks good on paper, but if you actually delve deeper, I think they probably deserve the victory. Um, they are a team who maybe, I mean, should have done a lot better than they did last season, to be honest. Um, they were very good in the National League, and normally that should translate into a better than better finish than what they achieved. Um, but they reinvested well in January. Uh, they looked very functional. They kept the faith with, um, with Mark Cooper, the manager who got them there in the first place. And it, it just seems like a team who, in their position of, of ninth, I think they are at the moment, are already in a false position in that they should be higher. And mm. they're trending the right way. Um, they're not conceding many goals and they're, and they're managing to get over the line. They're, the only concern has to be um, if they've got the players to stick the ball in the back of the net when, when, provided, when, when given the chance. Ruben Reid took his chance on the weekend and Forest Green also winners off the pitch last week. Um, some of you may have seen, some of you may not have seen that um, their kit was not ready for the start of the season. And uh, as such, they dropped the makers of that kit or the, the, the desired makers of their kit, which was Hummel. And they've got a new kit manufacturer. And this week they played in their new kit made by a company called Player Layer. And in their promo video for the new kit, uh, they finished with the line, light at the end of the Hummel, which uh, I particularly enjoyed. So well done, Forest Green, on and off the pitch. Good stuff. Uh, we're going to talk about the bottom of League Two here now, and we're not going to talk about it. It's not, not going to be fun. 
put it that way. Because I'm going to tell you a stat about Crewe, and you're going to tell me a bit about Grimsby, and then we're going to talk about Morecambe and Macclesfield. Now, there's only two relegation spots up for grabs in League Two, but there's some pretty bad teams, and it's all set up to be a very grim relegation battle. I'm going to start with Crewe. They're in 17th at the moment. They've only scored in two of their games so far. (laughs) Only two of their games have they actually scored a goal. But in those games, they won 6-0 and 3-0, which has slightly skewed things. Uh, But that's eight games, and six times they failed to score. That is pretty bad. Uh, Grimsby equally struggling to score. Yeah, Grimsby last scored in the league at MK Dons on the 21st of August. Um, They didn't have a... We've spoken before in the last couple of games, they've gone for these huge swathes of of time where they don't have a shot. It happened again. Uh, They didn't have a shot for the first 45 minutes against Stevenage. Um, That is... It's it's pretty disastrous. Um, And they're not getting any points from nil-nil draws either. They're, they're, They're conceding goals. Obviously, just the one against Stevenage, but previous to that, the three against Oldham, and four against Bury. Um, this is trouble <laughs> for, for Grimsby. But is it trouble though? Because despite ten goals conceded without reply and counting for Grimsby, uh, Morecambe and Macclesfield are are also quite poor. I think it's fair to say. And they they played against each other on Saturday. Morecambe won two one. It was it was clearly a relegation six pointer. Macclesfield not helped by a red card to Michael Rose in the first half playing against his old club. And Morecambe's still managing to make quite heavy weather of getting the win, which they did. Uh, Macclesfield haven't won a game yet. I put it to you that it's quite hard to see how and where they will. I mean, I'm sure they will at some point, but that's how poor I think they've been. I, I cannot see... I'll never predict them to win a game. I think that's, <laughs> that's something I'm pretty well, confident in saying. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Until maybe uh, they play be, Morecambe must at home. It must be incredibly frustrating for Macclesfield, a club who had such a long history in, in the Football League, to have had a couple of years in the wilderness to get yourselves back up there with a manager who you think is going to take you places, to lose the manager and then to be staring at a return to the, to the abyss. Um, it's, it's really difficult. I mean, we're going to find out a lot about both Grimsby and Morecambe uh, this weekend when they face off um, at Grimsby. Um, because at the moment it's quite hard to really understand who's worse than who and I think mm. we're going to find out a lot about them because it wouldn't be a surprise to see either team I reckon win that quite healthily given how poor both have been um, but I, I agree with, with Macclesfield I mean it's hard for them to, to, to have an early red card in a game of that magnitude is is really really poor Yeah, that, um, that's what's almost frustrating is we would have liked to have seen them play yeah. 11 v 11 for, for, for a game exactly. as it was it was good news for Morecambe. Well, Malachi Napa still having rave reviews despite them being on, on two points from nine games, which maybe is something. That's true, that's true. Napa doing very well for Macclesfield. Um, it's easy to forget that on opening day, Macclesfield were leading against Swindon heading into injury time before conceding two penalties and losing 3-2. Uh, it's all been downhill from there. Morecambe very much sort of picking their moments, uh, just two wins from their nine games, but they've been big wins against Northampton and Macclesfield at home so you sort of think that you know if they could win one in every three or four games it might, might somehow be enough which seems ridiculous but uh, that's not even mentioning the fact that Notts County drew with Northampton on the weekend so Notts County still winless through nine Northampton have got just one win and seven points in their nine games so the bottom of League Two is just not just not a joyous place at the moment not a joyous place at all We're going to flit from the sad to the very happy. We're going to flit to our team of the week. And it was a double game week in the championship. So we're not just talking about the weekend here. Our team of the week is, drumroll, George. 
Norwich, hey. the, the Canaries, uh, a team who we haven't spoken about much on this podcast for a while now because they've done not a great deal of note, and now they're getting loads of coverage. Um, yeah, really, just a huge week for them, really, and, and the Timu Puki uh, train rumbles on. Unfortunately, um, we were told that Timu's got quite a lot of uh, media requests at the moment, which is not that surprising. I was shocked. Uh, not that Absolutely surprising. Absolutely shocked. No, it's been, it's been fantastic. We, we've spoken about... Daniel Farker maybe being in a spot of bother. Absolutely no chance now in all competitions. The last five games, they've won four and drawn one. And that one was that one draw was a late equaliser in the Old Farm Derby, which is, you know, in the end, a very good result. Um, they look good. Yeah. I mean, you have to say, um, it's not necessarily the fleet of the free-flowing football that we've maybe expected from Farker at times from last season, but they are learning and they're adapting in terms of how to win. And, and, you know, they deserve their win at QPR. They, they deserve their win at Reading um, midweek. I spoke to a friend of mine who was at the game um, who was a little bit frustrated at how they um, sat back off going 1-0 up. Um, but I said to him, I was like, that's what you've been lacking for so long, like, just understanding that actually don't go for two, three or four. Just get yeah, except they, they did concede a goal. And then score straight away. Yeah, but then, but then they've done that. So they've, they've taken the lead against, against Borough, Reading and QPR. And in all three, they have learned just to protect their lead. Mm. And they conceded one goal, and that one goal, luckily, they were playing against a team who aren't the best at the back, and they, and they went straight up the other end and, and got a winner. So Yeah, we have always said that they had a soft centre, so at the very least, that is starting to, to yeah. change, maybe. Yeah, uh, I, think it's, I think it's a pivotal couple of weeks for, for Norwich. Timu Puki uh, yes. has scored in five consecutive games for club and country, winning goals in the Nations League in, in consecutive games for Finland, and now... Winner against Middlesbrough, opener against Reading, and winner now on the weekend as well. Um, Jordan Rhodes signed in the summer and started the season through the middle. Puki has made that spot his own, and, and from what the fans are saying, it's not just this unerring finishing ability that we're seeing, but um, an energy and a movement to dragging defenders out of space and creating the space for the, the players behind him. Steeperman, Buendia, uh, the, the fullbacks are getting forward, two young guys, Max Ahrens and Jamal Lewis, uh, all both of them under 21. Um, it's, it's kind of like, we spoke about it last week, the recruitment's been interesting. It's kind of an odd squad and quite a fun squad as well certainly when they're clicking um, some really nice combination play in the final third over the last few weeks and, and in midweek I also watched that game against Reading um, their team was consisting of a Dutchman three Germans a Swissman a Finn a Norwegian uh, an Argentine and three British youth products all under 21 so great fun Todd Cantwell coming into the team and looking brilliant um, a really positive few weeks for Norwich, for their fans, and for Daniel Farker, who you know I just really like. I think oh he's um, going for it. I think he's uh, you know at the start of the season maybe we concede um, you know a little few too many goals, but um, the lads had some injuries and now we are much better, and I'm so so happy for the lads. Oh my god! I think it's ever going to get better than that. I'm in shock. I was sending a text when you're doing that, and I looked up. I thought Daniel was sitting next to me. That is absolutely unbelievable. Thanks very much. Thank you. Um, really good. So that stuff. was our not top twenty exclusive with Daniel Farker there for our team of the week. Yeah, Norwich. we couldn't get anyone from the club, so I have played the role of, of manager. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, well done to Norwich for being our team of the week, and hopefully they won't suffer the same fate as Yeovil did last week and lose on the weekend. Um, but we really appreciate you for listening all the way through to the NTT20 pod. Um, if you have got to this point, and if you have enjoyed the podcast, we'd massively appreciate uh, a retweet uh, on our tweet or a share. Uh, 
anywhere, on a forum, um, in your WhatsApp groups, whatever it is, um, uh, hopefully by now you've already told all of your pals uh, to listen to the pod. But if you haven't, it would be huge for us if you could do that because we're trying to build the numbers, we're trying to keep moving upwards, and to do that, uh, we need your help. So please give it to us. Uh, Otherwise, we're just really grateful to have you listening to another edition. And until the betting show, which will be released on Wednesday, that's it from us.